Today's episode will not be featured on Guardian CME. Start CPR. <laughs> Tell me you want more cowbell. Yeah, I know. I, I lost it. That went away. All right, whatever. Do wow. this. Let's do this. All right, here we go. <laughs> this call was wow. submitted by an EMT. <laughs> I really changed for a second there. No, nah, I, I lost it. No, no, no. I had it. It's Oof. gone. Yep. I got, all right. Wow. So, that's all I have. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> this call was submitted by Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my superpower. I can I can imitate any celebrity saying "Wow," but no other words. Wow. <laughs> you know. uh, all right, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hold on. Now we're in. A, now we've got this to do. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, Edward Norton. Uh, Ed- Edward Norton just sounds like me. Wow. Like that probably sounds like Edward Norton. <laughs> Make it a little whinier and I think you got it. Wow. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, Norm McDonald. No. Wow. No, that's not. That was almost Christopher wow. Walken again. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> I think the only ones I nailed was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Christopher Walken. Uh, yeah, I think you I think you nailed Walken and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That the that rest of them were just kind of just me mm. saying wow, <laughs> just me saying wow, in, wow. <laughs> wow, with different sort of like yeah <clears throat> intonations. All right, here we go. Get down. This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of EMS 20... 20. This is the podcast where we review real out-of-hospital calls that you guys uh, sent us. If you would like your call to be featured on this show, then head on over to our Facebook at EMS20 slash 20 or our Instagram at EMS2020 show. And on Instagram, you can check a Beacons page that's linked in the bio. On Facebook, you can check a pinned post right there at the top of all the posts. And that will guide you to a form that you can fill out that will uh, yeah let us know that you got a, a neat call for us. Don't worry, we don't just take the form and fire from the hip and make an episode from that. We will contact you for further details uh, before we uh, do the episode. So yeah, uh, also be sure to check out our YouTube channel. It's Rapid Sequence Information or at Rapid Sequence Info uh, over on uh, YouTube. We have some fun videos there. We have some new videos uh, coming out uh, soon, so uh, which will be really cool involving uh, a lung box where we get to see some simulated injuries on, a, on a, what we're calling the lung box, something we've made. Also, head over to NebraskaEMS.com where you can get signed up to attend the Nebraska Statewide EMS Conference. It's going to be going on July 7th through the 9th 2023 at the Yoon's Conference Center in Kearney, Nebraska. Uh, the reason you should do that is because Spencer and I are going to be there. That's right. We're going to be traveling to Nebraska and we're going to be teaching classes. You'll get to come say hi, talk to us. Uh, we're going to be hanging out pretty much throughout the entire event, seven, the 7th through the 9th. Uh, we will be in Kearney, Nebraska. So if you want to come see us and meet us and say hi and I don't know, maybe learn something from us, uh, you know, that's not in the podcast, then yeah, come and check it out. And of course, we got to talk about this uh, episode sponsor. That's going to be Jump Medic. So head on over to jumpmedic.com. You can use uh, promo code EMS2020 to get 10% off 
of any purchase at jumpinact.com and also check out their build a bag feature. You can add stuff you want, take away stuff you don't like. Like, for example, if Spencer was going to build a bag, he might as well, you know, remove the CBG kit and save himself some money because he's yeah. not going to use it. And replace it all with Band-Aids and because all with Band-Aids. That, is, that is the hot commodity at my house. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, yeah, you can go down there. There's an itemized list and you can go ahead and just add in all sorts of stuff. He's also got a subscription service that will keep your bag full throughout the year. And it comes down to, to 27 cents a day, the subscription service to keep the bag full throughout the year. So yeah, go ahead over to jumpmedic.com, check them out, use promo code EMS2020 for 10% off of uh, any purchase there. All right. This call was submitted by an EMT I'm calling Jesse PCR Man. At the time of this submitted call, Jesse had about four months experience with an EMS service that they were working for, but they do have experience operating as part of a uh, SAR team. So like search and rescue doing, you know, backcountry medicine sort of a thing. They are working with two other providers, the shift, uh, one Walter White Cloud, uh, volunteer EMT with uh, less than a year experience at the service, but they do work as a firefighter EMT for a different service. And they are working with Mike EMT Mintrout. Yeah, well, this oh. is one of the easiest themes that we've had in a while. <laughs> so, Mike Ermintrout, uh, EMT Mintrout. Yeah. Go on, Walter. <laughs> this is going to be a bad episode with impressions. Go on, Walter. Go on, Walter. Go on, oh, Walter. That was good. Yeah, that's not yeah. bad. Go on, Walt. Okay, yeah, all, right. all right. I can only do that one thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to fuck it up later if I try again. So, all right, well, what, is, what does Mike do? A lead EMT for the service with four years of experience <laughs> with whom Jeffy, with whom Jesse often works with. Nice. So, uh, I'm going to say that the uh, theme is going to be Breaking Bad. <laughs> Wrong. It, Je- Jesse, patient care report. It's man. Better Call Saul, you idiot. <laughs> Ah, but Better Call Saul. Well, actually, you're right. The last season did have some uh, Walter White uh, scenes in it. So, fair yeah, enough. Right. Fair no, enough. it's Breaking Bad. All right. Well done. All right. Uh, today's call features a service I'm calling Albuquerque Blue Ambometh EMS. Blue Ambometh. Nice. <laughs> the crews run out of one central station, which has about three ambulances, along with some fire apparatus. Apparati? Mm, apparatus. Apparatuses. Yep. It's a flock of apparatus. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> a murder of apparatus. All right. Uh, this is a transporting fire service that has both paid staff and a large volunteer division. Okay. Uh, most of the staff are EMT level providers, but uh, the paid shifts always have at least two paramedics staffed. Okay. So when you say uh, a volunteer- paid shift, is that is that normally a four-person crew? I don't know exactly the composition of the paid uh, staff. Uh, okay. I know that there's some who work on the engine, who can staff the ambulance, and uh, an ALS medic but who can uh, typically run least, out on a fly car. But there's always at there's, least two paid paramedics. Yep. Okay, copy that. All right. Uh, the volunteers, on the other hand, typically staff between one to two of the ambulances per day, and the paramedics typically respond in fly cars or a fly car. Really quick, in yeah. case someone's not really familiar with what a fly car is, in systems that are more resource limited, specifically in the resource of paramedics and ALS interventions, oftentimes what will happen is you will have a BLS or basic life support, uh, I guess you could say a response to any call. 
Um, but certain calls, or in some systems, all calls, will get a paramedic fly car, where the paramedic can respond to the call, determine if a paramedic is necessary for the call, uh, and either stay or go away, or they can be requested by the BLS unit to be like, hey, we do need a paramedic here, and they respond in a fly car. That way, you don't have your paramedics uh, taken up on patients where they don't need to be because you don't have a lot of them. There's upsides and downsides to this. Of course, the upside is uh, you can conserve your resources for the patients that you know truly need the paramedic level. And the downside, of course, is that you will – people who do need the paramedic level uh, may get uh, – there may be delays in that service as opposed to a system that just sends a paramedic to every call anyway. So yeah, there you go. Now, well summarized. All right. So at this service, the volunteers collectively run about 1,200 calls per year. Uh, in a 12-hour shift, there are typically or there is typically the opportunity to make contact with, you know, between three to 10 patients. And the newest uh, staff uh, are often placed in the role of PIC um, because these crews will respond to multiple 911 calls and can do so without often crossing paths with the paid staff. Um, okay. So they like to really kind of build these new providers up uh, by giving them lots of PIC options. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of things I'd like to highlight about this service that I feel are pertinent to the call. Uh, the first one being the onboarding pr process consists of uh, a checkoff sheet in which volunteers uh, or staff who work with the volunteers or the newer employees essentially sign off the sheet. Um, okay. And some of them are like, you have to have multiple checkoffs. You know, somebody has to watch you do things multiple times. But ultimately, there isn't one assigned person. Um, I see. Okay. To, you know, do to complete the onboarding. <clears throat> it's essentially like it's whoever you work with or whoever you get partnered with. Gotcha. Uh, as so long as they're also not. During yeah. your onboarding process, they 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 just hand you a sheet and you just try to get initials from more senior staff members that, hey, hey. Bob, remember the call the other day where you saw me do an IV? Can you check here? And then you're like, hey, Sally, you remember the call the other day where you saw me change the ambulance tire? Can you check here that I know how to change the ambulance tire? Like that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which, yep. to, to be clear, like I'm not opposed to those kind of checkoff sheets. Um, but it sounds like you're saying there isn't a – is there a regular FTO that watches over them to make sure their overall progress progresses or no? No. Okay. Nope. Yeah, see, that, that I'm not a fan of. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the other thing that's important is this service restricts the driving of the ambulance to approved employees. Does that include volunteers? Uh, so, uh, so yes, volunteers can, uh, can operate the vehicles, but only certain ones. Okay. Um, there isn't, it doesn't sound like there's like a state requirement that anything has to go through. It's, this sounds more like uh, some people decided that these young people are just crazy behind the wheel and they shouldn't be driving. Oh, and uh, okay. only the only the certain only certain people can. It does come to play in this call, uh, so I bring it up, um, and we will talk about the hospital when we get into the call. But it's the only hospital to go to, so that's uh, doesn't it, matter. Yeah, it's a it doesn't matter. So that's, here we that's go. That's the option we go to. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> that's the option we go to. All right. It's almost 1 a.m. Jesse PCR man, Walter Whitecloud, and Mike EMT Mantrout are on their way back to the station, having just completed a call for a vomiting patient that ended in a refusal. Okay. As they're on their way back, they get dispatched out to a sick person at a private residence. The patient is described to be a 47-year-old male who is reported to have uh, be having face and body numbness, slurred speech, and shortness of breath. 
Mike, who is the only member on their group authorized to drive, turns on the lights and they head towards the residence. Roles are assigned. Jesse, who is in training, will take PIC, with Walt assigned to be his partner and obtain vitals and scribe. Mike will drive. All right. So aside from the roles, the three consider what like these dispatch complaints could mean. Well, it seems like stroke would be the most obvious answer. Uh, Jesse says they didn't want to just kind of lock themselves into that diagnosis, especially with the report of shortness of breath as well, because those two usually <clears throat> don't go hand in hand. Um, so they're like, Hey, it could be more like, maybe this is more shortness of breath. Maybe this is a stroke. And they start coming up with a plan of kind of like what to do. Uh, when they get there. Uh, so if the call does end up being ALS, they know that they're going to summon and possibly intercept with a uh, paramedicus Fring, nice. the paramedic on the fly car. Paramedicus right, so Chris, Fring. Yeah. That was awesome. Well <laughs> so, done, sir. Thank you. Uh, so Chris, I know we're starting you off early in this call, but uh, we all know that in school, the chief complaint is always just one category. Yeah. Uh, your patient has chest pain. Your patient has abdominal pain. This is a patient with an altered mental status, stroke, major trauma, etc. It's never the combination of like, all right, so here's the thing. You arrive on a patient reporting 10 days, intermittent lower abdominal pain. Also, they have a headache. Uh, just, just killing them. Today, they're reporting some shortness of breath with numbness in their hands that started 20 minutes ago. Sure. And they're having chest pain go. Uh, <laughs> so how, how do we approach or how, how do you think it's best to approach these things where you kind of have two different treatment paradigms being dispatched out at once, Me? like in this call? <clears throat> So specifically, when we're talking about things being dispatched out, I'll answer that that question first. When something is dispatched out in a certain way, I, dispatch information, I, I don't want to call it throwaway information because it's not. But what you never want to do is hear the dispatch information be like, well, it's got to be one of those two things. It's always great to use it as like <laughs> like you and I talk about, you know, like pregame, be like, oh, okay, this is shortness of breath. Uh, let's make sure we bring in our CPAP. You know, if this ends up being a busy short of breath call, you do this, you do that. So you kind of have some stuff there. What you don't want to do is go in and be married to that pregame. And so, so for example, what I have written down here is that face uh, plus body numbness is how it was specifically put uh, was slurred speech and shortness of breath. Okay, well, why do we think he's shortness of breath? Is that just whoever's calling us? Because I'm, I'm going to guess this is this patient is not the person that's calling. Someone else is calling on their behalf. I and, would imagine not. No. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know, but it's like okay. So wh why why do we have shortness of breath in there? Well, is it is it that this patient's looking at them like his face is drooping and he's got slurred speech, and then they interpret something to be shortness of breath? Like you just don't know. So when it comes to something being dispatched out. It's good information, but you're still going to go in and you're going to start the same way as you would in any call. And you're going to come in there and you're just going to go LOC, ABC. Uh, you know, hey, what's the chief complaint? Check the guy's level of consciousness. Check the patient's ABCs. Get some vitals. Then do more focused assessments uh, from there based on what you get. And that's how you should be reporting these things. However, one of the things I will maintain, now let's put the dispatch stuff aside and let's say you go there and you legitimately have two complaints. Okay, but let's say you go in there and the caller's there and they say, yeah, he's been complaining of shortness of breath all day and now these symptoms have started, This these stroke-like symptoms. There is no reason you can't have two things going on at once. And so guess what you get to do? You get to do LSC, ABC, and then you get to do two focused assessments and then treat both things that you find uh, because that 
unfortunately, most of your patients have not read the NREMT uh, skill sheets and they don't know how to go down them for you. So you have to gotcha. uh, so, do that. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is what you should do is get in there and be like, no, 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 no. Fuck you. Pick one. Yeah. And just then you hand in, them the book. Head in the yeah. protocol book like it's a damn menu and be like, what are you That's having right. today, sir? Now, use your right hand if your left hand isn't working. You tell me. <laughs> All right. You're just going to go unconscious. You don't want to participate. Then you start yelling, wow. sir, knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Stand over them. <laughs> so uh, the crew arrive at the scene six minutes later. The residence is described as a well-kept split-story home. Uh, Jesse and Walt head towards the home and bring in their monitor, which has the following items. Uh, it has a 3 and a 12 lead, a non-invasive blood pressure cuff, uh, called commonly called the auto cuff, yeah. uh, an SPO2 thingamajigger, uh, an end-tidal CO2 cannula, a glucometer, a pen light, and a thermometer. Oh, okay. and also a stethoscope. Oh, uh, left in the ambulance are the airway kit, drug box, <laughs> pediatric <laughs> box, trauma. And Jesse says that the minimalist approach is part of the established culture yeah. and that more senior providers very, very much dislike bringing in additional crits. Uh, Chris, I'm, I'm going to beat you to the rant because uh, yeah. I want you to save your voice here. Look, I, I am not saying. That you need to bring in the suction kit and your C-spine kit on every call. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not even saying in this case, like, you need to bring in the trauma or even really the med kit. Mm -hmm. But if the dispatch includes a respiratory component, what is the argument against bringing in the airway kit, which yeah. I'm presuming has the oxygen bottle in it. Let me put it this way. I can't not rant. I got to do one thing. Uh, no, 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 if no, you no. Have, no. Hold on. Sorry, go. You, you hold your you hold your horses, sir. Yeah. Like, listen, I, breathing problems often have a time component, and it turns out oxygen t is actually an important factor in that mm -hmm. component that that problem there. I, so, I, I I'm not saying I haven't gone minimalist on calls, but the question that needs to be asked is: Is the effort we're saving by not bringing equipment? really worth the risk of potentially delaying life-saving care when we know there's a potential for the life saving for a life threat like in the dispatch like if you show up on a person who is dispatched to be you know like oh it's a stub toe and you walk up and they're dead and you didn't bring your stuff like yeah hey you know you're fucked okay that's what that's, you are you're, you're fucked. fucked and they're fucked yep but <laughs> if you go on a call but you, you like there I guess I would be a little more like okay yeah like it was a stub toe there wasn't a report of the thing you brought up the stretcher and a monitor and sure. then you found out like oh their their stub toe was actually the slightly more forgivable was stubbed I guess. out of yeah but if you get told hey they're having shortness of breath and then <laughs> not freaking okay. oxygen but on you know that. what I expect like, to disagree with like, you dude, yeah, okay. I'm going to disagree with you. If you get told they have altered LLC, you still bring in your airway kit. Yeah. You don't need well, the shortness of breath. You don't need the shortness of breath. You don't. If this yeah. is altered LLC, you bring in your airway kit. 
It doesn't matter because what could happen when someone's LOC gets too altered? What happens to their airway, Spence? You tell me. In fact, you guys ever heard the term less than eight intubate when, re- when referring to GCS? In other words, if someone is so altered, they can't protect their own airway, you need to intubate them. You can do that without your airway kit. You had one chief complaint. That was AMS. You could stop there. Bring in your airway kit. It just makes it even <laughs> stupider that we also had to add shortness of breath and you still didn't bring it in. Mm, yeah. That, and he, and here's the thing. I, I, I can see your point. Yeah. No, no, no. It, 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 here's the thing. There's no, this isn't okay on any level. It's not okay to not come in with all your kits. It's not okay to have an established culture where more senior providers very much just like bring in an additional kit. Cause that's that stupid cool factor. What that is, is that is people thinking it's cool and makes them better paramedics. In fact, they can shoot from the hip and get it right by leaving kits behind. When you're leaving kits behind, the only thing you're doing is saying, I know what this is. And you're minimizing your effort so you can be fucking cool. The best case scenario is that you guess right and everything is fine. But the worst case scenario is that you guess wrong and things are not fine. And here's what I can guarantee has happened in your agency. What has happened in your agency, absolutely 100%. I I would, I would bet the show on this. What has happened in your agency is that someone has gone in, they have not brought a kit and it has delayed care in some way. And the worst part about that, they have justified it. That's the worst part. They have justified it with someone. It's like, hey, there was no way to know I should have brought in that kit. Or they just don't mention it. All right. How about this? If you work at this place, every time you have to go back out and get a kit that you should have brought in, I want you to time it. And I want you to know and internalize the fact that you cost the patient that much time because you didn't want to bring in a kit. Stop it. Okay. I I appreciate you. I would say. Okay. In some situations, I'm going to continue on this thing. Uh, in some situations, that time might be negligible because I hear that counter argument like, mm-hmm. hey, the IV that we're doing sort of extra, like n- extraneously in this situation, like we're starting it now so that we can, you know, get whatever in now. Like th- there are situations in which like, yeah, they're, you're not necessarily harming the patient, but oxygen isn't really one of those like if a patient needs oxygen five minutes can fucking make a big difference in terms of somebody crumping so i that's especially with the airway kit Mm -hmm. like all right maybe the med box of fucking meds you haven't ever used will continue to not be used you, still, you bring the, that's still bring it in. Shut up. Still bring it in. Still bring it in. Don't, don't, no. Spence, don't give anyone, do not give anyone an inch. Shut the fuck up. You still bring it in. Because the problem right. is. I won't give anyone a centimeter. We're an no, international show. No, Come on. Do not give them. <laughs> that's nice. Do not give them one inch, 2.54 centimeters for those that are not uh, based in the US. Um, do not give them. Do not give them that. Because the problem is, is like the just the benefit of doing so is so minimal. It's so nothing that there's just no argument for leaving it in. I understand not bringing in trauma trauma equipment on non-trauma calls because in that case, you do have some issues because you can – as two people, you can only carry in so much. And trauma equipment, like a backboard, for example, can get really big and bulky and that can delay care, especially on medical calls. That is something I understand. There's an argument to sit down and be made. But generally speaking, there is no argument to be made for not bringing in uh, all the kits you need to handle any medical call. There is no good argument. If you're, t- if you're, if you're about to tell me, well, the way our kits are set up are not good for that, that's still a shitty argument and then you need to go fix your kits. 
Like if you come tell me, it's like, oh, our oxygen bottle's attached to the stretcher and not in a kit. Yeah. Well, we know how I feel about that. So <laughs> go fix it. <laughs> I tried to save your voice. <clears throat> no, no, but, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, and, you know, and, yeah. And I would say I heart you for that. I really do appreciate this. Like, no, nah, I'm going to try and save Chris the rant. Um, but, but no, I just, I, I, I can't, you are nicer than I am and you will, <laughs> you will, you'll allow people to feel good about things they don't, to feel better about things they shouldn't. At least I feel that way. I don't know. Maybe you won't, but. Uh, oh, man. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so Mike is going to work on getting the stretcher up to the door while Jesse and Walt approach the home. Uh, Jesse does the whole like knock, knock EMS as they enter the home. Right. Walt, of course, will later tell Jesse, I'm the one who knocks. <laughs> well done. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, so uh, they go up the stairs. They find the patient sitting in a dark room in the kitchen uh, with their spouse and children at their side. Uh, the patient is a 47-year-old male, approximately 5 foot 10 and 160 pounds, or 177 centimeters and 72 kilograms. They are sitting in a tripod position, and Jesse can see that the, pa- the patient appears dry and pale and feels that this patient from their like doorway assessment looks sick. The patient's spouse tells Jesse and Walt that the patient has been acting weird since he got home from work at 4 o'clock, 1600. Uh, they tell the two that the patient is breathing weirdly and ask them to please check him out. Clarification on the weird behavior, the patient is slower to respond and seems potentially disoriented. Uh, Jesse starts his assessment while Walt gets more details about the HPI from the family. That's the history of present illness. All right. so. Let's do the assessment first. Level of consciousness. The patient is described as alert and oriented, but is noticeably slow to respond to questions and exhibits some uh, slurred speech. Okay. Uh, the patient reports like, I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, buddy, uh, the- if you're going to read that quote that way, then I'm going to need you to slur the speech. Okay, hold on. Well, <laughs> You know what? Just do Sylvester Stallone. I don't feel good. I feel good. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Stick an index finger in your mouth and you can say anything like that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, Airway is patent. B. Breathing. It's reported to be as adequate, uh, but with slow and very deep respirations. Okay. Lung sounds are clear in all fields. Uh, Circulation. I don't know if the radial pulse was checked, but uh, because of the complaint from family and the slurred speech from the patient, a stroke assessment is quickly performed here. Uh, the patient has the following. They exhibit slurred speech. They have a positive left arm drift and they have left grip weakness. Uh, pupils are also checked and are noted to be pinpoint and sluggish. So while Jesse is doing their science assessment, bitch, uh, (laughs) the family tells Walt that they noticed that the patient was acting weird when he got home from work around four. Uh, the patient works construction and had one alcoholic beverage, uh, after work, which was clarified to be a white claw. So I don't know. Does that qualify? I think, I think white claw is a similar alcohol content to like a Bud Light. So no, it doesn't. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Uh, 
and they also took their medications. Uh, he takes pain medications secondary to a recent uncomplicated back surgery, and the patient does have a history of chronic back pain. Uh, the patient has no known allergies and takes the following medications. So, hey, fair enough. Uh, White Claw, just look it up, uh, between 5% and 8% ABV in the U.S. and Canadian markets. Uh, depending oh. on which one you get, so that that's okay. That's within that, that that's anywhere from like light beer to uh, strong IPA range. So okay, hmm. yeah. All right, all right. I see you, White Claw. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Represent. All right. Tip of the hat. Uh, all right. So uh, the patient takes the following medications: amitriptyline, atorvastatin, Celebrix, Deloxetine, Neurotin. Omeprazole, <clears throat> Tizanidine, and Hydrocodone. Okay. Uh, the patient's spouse says that at, the patient does have a history of becoming like minorly disoriented and sluggish after, especially after taking the Tizanidine, but it's never been as significant as now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patient is asked about, but is asked by Jesse about like a timeline of events, but the patient isn't really able to provide a super reliable timeline. Um, so they kind of defer to the family's last known normal, which okay. was, I don't know, he came home altered. So, gotcha. uh, Walt has moved on to get vitals, but Chris, while Walt is getting those vitals, let's put you in the situation. Sure. Uh, what are you thinking <clears throat> at this point? What other information, if any, would you like to obtain? And then uh, what would your plan of action be for this patient if you were EMT man trout or PCR man or white cloud? Yeah. Uh, All right. So, I mean, I think stroke really seems to be the high probability here. Um, You know, we just did a stroke scale, the stroke scale, uh, depending on which stroke scale you decided to use, which really is like picking a name out of a jar these days because there's about a (laughs) hundred of them. And so I don't know which one you use in in your uh, area, but – it would be in most other stroke scales uh, when you have uh, slurred speech and you have uh, left arm drift and left grip weakness. Uh, most stroke scales are going to come up as positive. Uh, either way, like th- this is this is a patient that needs to be considered for a a stroke center. Um, it doesn't really matter though because if I recall correctly, there's only one hospital they can go to, so that's that's where the patient's going. Yeah. Um, so stroke really seems like a strong thing. I haven't heard much about the shortness of breath itself. I, I know we have some adequate, uh, but slow and very deep respirations and the lung sounds are clear in all fields. So that's good, but I haven't really heard them say anything about the shortness of breath. So I don't know. Did, did the family say yeah. anything about shortness of breath? Has, me... the, has the patient said anything about feeling short of breath at this point? Yeah. So let me add a little addendum here. They did ask the patient about the shortness of breath and the patient says that it's been present since, uh, since they came home from work. Um, it yeah. does, and that's essentially the only detail that, uh, the crew was able to get on it. So, All right. um, Okay, so yeah, so really, what I want at this point is I I want a set of vitals to include a CBG, um, mm. and you know I want to know because like, right now I'm just going to go down the altered LOC case. I mean, this does it really seems like stroke, but I think one of the dangerous things that we can get ourselves into is be like, all right, it's a stroke, let's go, you know, without really doing everything. Uh, given you do need to move fast on strokes, do not do not take what I'm saying as something like that, but you need a minimum at a minimum a set of vitals. Before you yeah. have, because that's going to be a real key point as you're relaying this to the to the receiving hospital. Like if we're talking about, okay, do we have a patient with a, an astronomical blood pressure? 
you know, where we're through the roof and we're thinking hemorrhagic. Do we have a normal blood pressure? So maybe we're thinking this is an occlusive. But either way, let's look at this as a normal altered LSD patient. Let's start answering the questions that I like to answer. And that the first is we need to evaluate the fuel. First of all, fuel being blood, is fuel getting to the brain? You're going to determine that with blood pressure. Is that fuel oxygenated, especially in a guy that's complaining of shortness of breath? So is there oxygen going to it? And then does that fuel have sugar? Do we have a CBG? You know, next step is, okay, so does it have fuel? Next up is, okay, is it broken? That's where we do things like the stroke assessment, which we've already done, and that's a positive stroke assessment in, in my book. And again, depends on which book you're reading out of. Uh, but, you know, yeah. that that stroke assessment that they've done is – that's going to click positive on most of the stroke scales out there. So there is that. Uh, and then other, the other thing we'd want to, we'd want to worry about is, you know, okay, we got a guy that works construction. There's, there's definite potential for trauma there. Do we have any recent trauma? Have we hit our head? Have we fallen? Have we done anything like that? Let's learn about that. Uh, the next step after that is going to be, okay, is it intoxicated? Uh, we do know the patient does have a prescription for, um, I believe you said some pain medication. Was that, was that narcotic pain medication that the patient had? Yeah. So they have hydrocodone and okay. then, uh, the, pa- the patient's spouse, uh, brought up tizanidine, uh, what? as Ooh. a, uh, not super mm-hmm. familiar with tizanidine. And they also take gabapentin, aka neurotin. Yep. Okay. And, uh, amitriptyline, I think also would be a, uh, yeah, a potential alteration. Amitriptyline. That's, that's an antidepressant. It's a, it's a TCA, actually. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a TCA. All right, cool. And of course, uh, all, along with these vital signs, you want to get the patient on the monitor. Um, so yeah, let's kind of see where we're going from there. And then alcohol would be a consideration. I mean, I know he said he's had some alcohol since he got home. He just had the white claw. But, you know, a single white claw probably isn't going to put us over the edge. So uh, wait, what flavor of white claw? <laughs> is it pomegranate? That, I, that information I did not. It, if it is, Pomegr- holy fuck. pomegranate, fuck you up. Code three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 see where they go. Okay. Well, uh, so Chris, vitals come back as follow: seventy-seven over forty-one via the autocuff. So a manual blood pressure is checked, um, and it confirms a seventy by palp blood pressure. Bonus points for, for double checking with the manual. I like that. Good job. Yeah, yeah, truth. Uh, heart rate is 70. 70. Respirations are about 10 to 12 per minute, and the patient is 96% on room air. Okay. Yeah, cool. All right, so here we go. Uh, Jesse PCR man tells Mike E.M. Tiemantraut to activate the paramedic, paramedicus Fring, in the ALS fly unit to respond and intercept. And this is particularly just due to the hypotension. Uh, yeah. He additionally wants to get the patient quickly out to the rig so that they can radio the receiving hospital for a stroke alert and start rapid transport. But that means that he and Walt will need to get the patient out of the home. So they do help the patient stand and with very little assistance, help the patient ambulate down the stairs to the stretcher, um, which the patient is able to do. The patient does report feeling some quote unquote pinpricks in their abdomen, which uh, they say started at the onset of their shortness of breath and seemed to get worse with movement. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Once in the ambulance, Jesse and Walt climb into the back uh, with the patient and Mike climbs up front to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesse leans. This is kind of a, a, a very separated cab uh, patient compartment 
you know, driving cab uh, thing. So Jesse uh, slimes in, slides the window open and uh, tells Mike, hey, uh, you know, hey, let's start transporting Code 3 towards the hospital, which is about a 20 or so minute drive away. Um, they were on scene for a total of seven and a half minutes. But Chris, just as Jesse gets the request out, Walt interrupts and says, Mike, let's start this cook code one for right now. Okay. Jesse asks, uh, why not miss, why not code three, Mr. White Cloud? Uh, and Walt, Walt responds, <laughs> Walt responds with, uh, I want to see if the patient's condition improves or declines before <laughs> we activate the stroke team, Jesse. Okay. So Mike starts code one. And Jesse doesn't feel that this is the right move to make and gives Walt an, are you serious, Mr. White? Like, look. Yeah. But because they don't want to argue in front of the patient, and they also recognize, like, Walt has more experience, uh, and for that matter, like, Mike doesn't seem to have objective to this plan. Uh, he doesn't really push it beyond that, but just kind of is uncomfortable. Uh, Paramedicus Fring, apparently hearing the crew transporting Code 1, slows their response to Code 1 in response as well. All right. So now, before we move on with the call, uh, I want to highlight what I think is an important system problem involving the hospital. All right. So there's the one hospital they go to. It has all the things. It has a stroke team. It has an ICU. It has the cath lab. Uh, it sounds like the EMS services that transport to this hospital are prone to getting what I'm going to call negative bedside feedback. Okay. I was actually wondering uh, this as, as we were talking about this person's decision to go code one to see if the patient gets better or worse. I was wondering if it wasn't a, a hospital culture problem. Anyway, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and so they get this from the doctors and staff, especially with unnecessary team activations. Um, yeah. So as a result of this, there are instances where Jesse has noticed that crews they work with are hesitant to make activations yeah. that their protocols would otherwise indicate they make. For instance, this stroke call uh, hits two of the three targets for an activation and they only need one. Um, okay. And here they are hesitant to make this activation. Um, so, and I want to point out, like, uh, Jesse has noticed this with other crews as well. Uh, and so, while Walt doesn't specifically give the rationale of, like, I don't want to look stupid for activating a stroke team unnecessarily in this moment, uh, they will cite this later in their defense as part of their rationale. Mm. So, <laughs> And if they're going to be saying that later, I'm going to guess this ends up being a stroke. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Walter and Jesse get the patient back on the monitoring equipment as they're going, and they get a second set of vitals five minutes into the transport. Uh, so okay. the patient remains alert, but, you know, uh, very slow to respond. The patient's skin is still pale. The patient is now in a low Fowler's position. Uh, What's low blood Fowler's? pressure? Low Fowler's is where they're like laying with their head slightly elevated. Okay. So they're, yeah. So laying flat. Uh, okay, gotcha. Copy that. Yeah. Some Dr. Fowler uh, there's like, no, give me credit. You call that low Fowlers. That's what that is. <laughs> really? I can't just say slightly I'm surprised elevated Dr. Head. Cushing didn't take that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> fucking guy's got everything else. Right, you know, exactly. Why <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, blood pressure, sir. 79 over 51 via the autocuff. Okay. 
Uh, heart rate is 70 via the SpO2. Patient's 95% on room air. And the monitor is set to check vitals every Q5. Gotcha. Hey, just uh, to be clear, so they every- still don't have an ALS person on this, right? They're still going to intercept? Yeah, the ALS person is uh, coming towards them as they're transporting code one. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, the patient is placed on an end-tidal CO2 cannula, and they are administered six liters of oxygen uh, stat. Hey, wait. I have a I have another question. What's their ETA yeah. to the hospital if they were to just go if they were, if they were to go just from scene to the hospital or what what would that ETA about be? twenty minutes about twenty minutes okay and all right and then what would their rough ETA to this intercept be? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, continue. I, I yeah. All right. Uh, Walt asks the patient about alcohol consumption and their medications. And the patient confirms the report that they had a white claw after work, which they took along with their hydrocodone. Uh, Walter, Walter then consults the Google, uh, regarding the patient's medications and looks up the drug interactions. And following that is now seemingly convinced mm. that the medications are the culprit mm. for the patient's condition. Okay. Uh, Jesse is noting which, that by the, the way, patient's there's no raised- shame in, in consulting Google for this shit, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesse yeah. is noting that the patient's responses to their questioning seem to be becoming more and more disoriented as uh. the transport goes on. Uh, the patient gives now <laughs> gives more confused responses to questions regarding the medications and their timeline of the day or the history of events. Um, and uh, during this thing, they're also asking more about the like pain in the abdomen. Um, Meanwhile, the next set of vitals comes in at the 10-minute mark into transport. BP of 65 over 32. Like heart rate of trend. 69. Okay. SpO2 of 96% on 6 liters per minute. And a CBG is now obtained, and it is a 118 milligrams per deciliter, or 6.55 millimoles. Good. All right. So, Chris, thoughts? Right. This is a confusing call. Um, So I got to admit, like, I don't blame uh, Walter in this one for for being a little bit, you know, confused on it because the blood pressure is the one thing that really doesn't seem to fit. Because in a lot of cases, we do start to see, especially in our uh, in our strokes type type patients, uh, if you're talking about a hemorrhagic stroke, there's potential to see the raising blood pressure with the lowering heart rate if it's a severe hemorrhagic stroke because you start looking at that Cushing's triad thing and that as uh, mm. intracranial pressure increases, uh, you have a harder time with cerebral perfusion and that's what drives the blood pressure up. And what actually causes the bradycardia is the herniation and the uh, brainstem being shoved down the frame and magnum and that causes the vagal response and causes the bradycardia associated with that. Uh, but you know, these vials don't really seem to follow that trend very, very well. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see what uh, Mr. White uh, sees. Uh, in his you know, research of the medications. So um, because, again, like, there, I mean, I know some of these medica- medications, but I don't know all of them. I would also be super curious to see what shows up on on a monitor. Um, but, you know, we don't have one yet. We don't have uh, ALS. Um, but as here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, that's what we got to look at is that the patient's still exhibiting stroke-like symptoms. 
And there could be a medication reason. It could be that for whatever reason, the medications he's taking is causing a drop in blood pressure, which is causing a perfusion issue with his brain and maybe lending its ability to uh, or maybe lending to these symptoms that are appearing stroke like. But, you know, when we have these one sided stroke like symptoms that we do, I believe it was some left sided weakness with this patient, correct? Yes. Yeah. When we have those left, those specific sides, um, that usually seems to indicate that there's a specific you know, one side of the brain is being affected. If you had someone with hypoperfusion, uh, you would expect your alternate LOC stuff. You may expect weakness. You may expect slurred speech. You may expect drowsiness, but you wouldn't necessarily see those things, I would think, uh, as a one side or the other uh, kind of symptom. Uh, or at least you have no way in the field to rule out that this isn't a stroke causing this and that it's not these vital signs. Because as I talked about earlier, Spence, people can have two things wrong with them. And yeah. in this case, regardless of, of whether or not the medications he's taking is causing these stroke-like symptoms, you have no way in the field to know if it's a stroke or those medications. So when it comes down to what my thoughts are, this is one of the things where I look at, I'm like, man, that blood pressure really sucks. I do want to treat that blood pressure. And I know some people might be thinking, like, well, you don't want to raise a blood pressure in a stroke. Uh, you also don't want really low blood pressures in a stroke either. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, yeah. No, that's this is yeah. also bad. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so that, that, that's pretty terrible. Um, so I, I do think that treating the blood pressure when ALS gets on scene is, is something that needs to be focused on. Um, but I, I'm still going to call this a stroke patient uh, as well. And let yeah. the hospital decide, you know, when we get there about like, all right, well, you know, you have more tools to figure out which one is which and which one you want to treat. I don't. What I have to do as a paramedic is I have to make sure that the solutions that are available to what's going on with this guy uh, are at the ready at the hospital to absolutely minimize the time that this patient, you know, goes from their current state to getting that solution. Uh, so I think this is absolutely a stroke team activated uh, activation uh, and then, of course, you're going to give them the vitals and acknowledge those vital signs. And if you're going ALS, you can say, hey, we're doing something about this blood pressure. But this patient is also exhibiting, you know, one-sided uh, stroke-like symptoms. So you, let's activate the stroke team as well. Uh, and that's yeah. what that that's what needs to happen. Unfortunately, it sounds like there's a shitty culture around that. But um, anyway, that's where I'm at. Yeah. All right. Well, at this point, Jesse feels that they have to override Walt. Uh, they lean through the window into the driver's compartment and tell Mike to upgrade to code three. Um, well, they would like to have paramedicus in their ambulance to start, uh, to treat the hypotension. Uh, at this point, it's just faster and in my opinion, more prudent yeah. to just get to the hospital versus delaying what essentially I was told would just be, it was like, yeah, I, we could get ALS, but at this point we would just actually be faster to just go nice. to the hospital versus waiting for them to arrive on scene. Okay. Um, to then trans continue transport. So, uh, Jesse, uh, at that point then calls a stroke alert over the radio. And what follows is a stylized recreation of what happens next. Chris, um, yes. hold on. I'm going to text. I, all right. So for this recreation, Okay. Rather than have me, since we're doing voices, uh, <laughs> I'm going to send you a text and okay. you're going to read this uh, in response to what I say in the voice of Jesse PCR man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Send it. All right. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I don't have it yet. Hang on. Okay. All right. I got it. Go. You got it? Uh, wait. Who, right. who am I? Am I? Am I? Am I you're Jesse. Jesse? I'm Jesse? No, you're. Yeah, you're Jesse. Okay. Right. I'm Jesse. Here we go. <laughs> What were you thinking, Jesse? 
Just trust me. <laughs> Sorry. Just trust me for once, okay, Mr. White? I have a plan. Bitch. Smoking marijuana. <laughs> nice. Smoking marijuana, eating Cheetos, and masturbating <laughs> do not constitute plans in my book. Well, All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I suppose we should hear what happened from Jesse's perspective, uh, the, who was actually there. So Walt didn't strongly Instead argue of completely with completely making up the, uh, <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> we should exactly. put the real one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I liked mine better, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Walt didn't strongly <laughs> argue with Jesse, but did passive aggressively insist that this was simply a drug interaction and that they would not have done this. Yeah. Uh, especially with the stroke activation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Five minutes later, and about two minutes before the arrival to the emergency department, the blood pressure is 64 over 31, pulse is 66, respirations are 14, and 99% on six liters of oxygen, and the end title is reading at 38. So, on arrival to the ED, the stroke team as like, outside, ready to meet the ambulance uh, in the ambulance bay. Um, as they take the patient out... The nurses there quickly establish IVs, and the patient is taken directly to see. Walt chastises Jesse for the actions they took. Um, But afterwards, after hearing the results of the CT scan, and Mike now kind of queuing into the details of the call, uh, tells Jesse, like, hey, man, I would have done what you did. Walt was wrong. Um, and on follow-up, the patient was confirmed to have a CVA, um, not sure what type, where, yeah, yeah, and was taken up to the ICU. All right. Well, yeah, there is a lot to talk about, uh, in this episode. Mm -mm. I'm very curious about those, um, those vital signs. Um, uh, but yeah, there's, there's some culture issues here, which I think it's probably a lot of people that are expecting me to jump down Walt's throat. I'm not actually. I mean, I'm not Walt. No, Walt did not do everything perfect in this case. But I mean, I can kind. There's culture problems that I I am willing. All right, I'll Mm. I'll, I'll get get into it later. I'll get into it later. But I am willing to (laughs) bet that uh, if we were to really take a look, Walt is not the only Walt. You know what I mean? And in fact, I'm pretty sure Jesse has said that. Like, hey, I've actually seen this in in other people, which means we got to look at the system and not just sit here and pound on Walt. Uh, But so let's just kind of summarize the call. We got a team of three EMTs working uh, for Albuquerque. What'd you call it? Blue Blue Ambo Meth EMS system. Yes, yes. <laughs> blue Ambo Meth. Uh, they're paramethics. Anyway, uh, and they are dispatched <laughs> to a. <laughs> Damn it! No. <laughs> hey, it's all right. It, it's it's not as bad as the time we we missed the title. Lo and be cold. Okay. That's, ah, that, that, forever. Was, that was sad. Yeah. Oh, I know. All right. But they're dispatched to a 47-year-old male reported to have stroke-like symptoms and shortness of breath. The patient, uh, as a, there's a positive stroke screen when they get there. They got slurred speech, left-sided weakness, and arm drift. Not a lot of detail in the shortness of breath thing. Uh, the patient's vitals revealed the patient uh, is also super hypotensive, uh, but the SATs were fine, middle of the road. And restorations were deep, uh, but it just 
clear lung sound. So I don't know. That might be kind of a cast aside. The patient's family reports that the patient takes medications that occasionally disorient them, but it's never been like this. Uh, we have a slow to respond patient with these stroke symptoms. Uh, the patient is quickly moved into the ambulance and Jesse wants to make the stroke alert and transport rapidly to the hospital with an ALS unit coming to intercept. The plan is blocked by Walt, their partner in the back, who wants to take a uh, wait-and-see approach. After Googling the medications, uh, and appears to believe the patient is simply having a medication misadventure. About 10 minutes uh, into the transport, uh, Jesse notes that the patient you know, continues to decline and then upgrades to Code 3, makes a stroke alert, despite Walt's insistence uh, to the contrary. Um, and then the patient is ultimately found to have had a stroke. Uh, so... <clears throat> A couple things that I want to touch on. Uh, I'm hoping, Spence, do you have any research on those medications as to what Walt said, Walt found on the way in? Because I want um, to I have, I have thoughts on the medication. Okay. Um, and I think I, most of my thoughts are, I, I mean, the headline is, we need to find more questions should have been asked if that sure. was the line of consideration. Gotcha. Um, because we, we have sort of an absence of data in that regard. Yes. Uh, so the, the medications like tizanidine is a muscle relaxer. Gabapentin, um, is, you know, a sodium channel blocker for, you know, neuropathic pain. Um, amitriptyline also affects sodium channels. Yeah. And you know, like, it, it, and so like a lot of these things can kind of like, and then hydrocodone and plus, you know, like a, not a, apparently Bud Light equivalent right. <laughs> booze. Uh, yeah, like those could have an effect, you know. Yeah. But I have more questions and I think we'll we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. Then you get into my thing is like, what does it matter? I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying we got we to gotta explore that question. Uh, the thing yeah. that I really want to kind of focus on is there really seems to be I, what I'm going to dub the crystal ball culture in this, in the sense that it seemingly every turn paramedics need to be able to have psychic abilities and the ability to tell the future. Uh, hey, when you go in, make sure you bring the exact right kits in for the patient you haven't met yet. Uh, predict the future. Uh, you're not cool if you don't. Uh, oh, hey, and by the way, when it comes to the stroke thing, uh, don't be wrong. Uh, predict the future because otherwise we'll uh, chastise you and, and we'll make you look stupid. Uh, and that's that's not good. And, and this is, this call is great, has a lot of great examples as to why that's not good. So, um, also, yeah, let's see. <clears throat> uh, the other thing is, uh, maybe a little bit, of, and, and that kind of pushes to like not wanting to make a mistake. And that leads to some confirmation bias, right? Uh, because like, hey, yeah, yeah, we Googled something I, yeah, that I, maybe I, confirms our, our decision <laughs> to go code one and we're going to glom I, onto that. And I want to talk about a really interesting phenomenon in this call uh, that is sort of an offshoot of confirmation bias. And it's like, yeah. you know, again, this isn't just Walt. This is I've definitely been here, too. This is belief perseverance. I, I think your point about the medication thing is fair. Um, so I want to I want to explore that more in terms of, you know, is that a fair differential to throw on the board? Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, and then finally, one thing I will mention is I want to talk about the decision not to do the intercept. Start with the big salvo, the, the big problems, the system problems. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's kind of start right off. Uh, well, okay. One thing I want to touch before we get into the big conversation, uh, let's go back in time a little bit to the FTO, 
their their onboarding process. I don't think any of that training necessarily reared its ugly head in this call, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it unless you see differently, Spencer. Of course, I'll defer to you. I, I, I think the but, only thing that I I would change, like that I would point out in this call, is that the person who's sort of the most senior person, um, they were obligated to the role of driver, but it seemed like they if. If my understand, if the telling of this is correct, they didn't seem to realize like, hey, what were the details of the call until they got to the hospital and were like, hey, uh, so yeah. what were the details of the call? Uh, and then they affirmed that Jesse was right. I, yeah. I think so if you are taking this, if you're going to train somebody, you should probably pay attention. Gotcha. And so FTOs it, are yeah. typically better at that. And anyway, so in this sorry. case, there's no real FTO system. And so it's supposed to be the most senior person on shift. But because this agency does have kind of a, a thing about who drives, the most senior person ended up being the person driving and wasn't really aware in the back. And that was Mike E.M. Tiemann Trout, I believe. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. God, that's awesome. Walt. Yeah, thank you. All right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Jesus. All right. So, yeah, no, that's I agree with that. And then, um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we need to carry on too yeah. much about that. But anyway. So to me, the the bigger cultural issues that that need to be brought up, and and I think it, it's kind of one thing is that there seems to be a promotion. Um, th- this is a system that that really, unfortunately, it it just seems to promote this idea that a good paramedic has to diagnose from the field, and, and not even so much from the field. You got to diagnose from dispatch. You know, like that's, and mm. you might see these as two separate things, you know, where we're saying, all right, minimalist, only bring in the right kits, that kind of stuff, you know, but really those all go to the same thing that then impacts the hospital choice. Like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to select the wrong, I don't want to activate the wrong team if I don't have to, I don't want to bring in the yeah. wrong kits if I don't have to. And it, it really creates a really bad culture where essentially you're judging what a good paramedic is and what a bad paramedic is by luck alone. And that is awful. And it's one of those things where I feel now, like I'm not just sitting here to brag about the show, but I mean, we get call after call after call, but we talked about this. I think I might've actually cut it from the last episode, but just so you guys know, um, we get probably average averages out to about one call submission a day. Some days are crazy. We'll get like four or five call submissions a day. We do a show every, every two weeks. Right. And so that means for every one you hear, we have between probably 13 and 17 that we read, but haven't done a show on. Now that doesn't mean that there's just 13 to 17 waiting for us uh, because that keeps accruing. It turns into hundreds quick. And so we, and And by now we've had a hundred episodes, which means we've probably had thousands of submissions total. And I'm just, I'm only, the reason I'm able to give you these numbers is because we recently switched to the form. It used to be by email and we get lots of emails and messages that were just like, Hey guys, I got a cool call. You know, can I submit it? And that kind of stuff. And if I include all those thousands have come our way and constant themes that we see, things we see that constantly go bad are things like this, where it's only bring in the right kits uh, you know, or hospitals, they don't, you know, I, I'm worried about making the wrong activation or basically just kind of comes down to this. I want to be a good paramedic. And for whatever reason I have determined or my, or the culture in this area has determined that being a good paramedic means that I can take in the minimal amount of equipment, do the minimal amount of effort and fire from the hip and be right. None of that's true. Yeah. 
All that does is that makes for a system that has a lot of misses and a lot of paramedics that cover up their misses. Maybe not even intentionally. I think a lot of people solidly justify in their mind why they don't bring in kits. And so I want to kind of come back to my rant earlier. I I ranted hard. I'm not going to rant this time. Um, But here, here's the, 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 the knockdown argument uh, for bringing in, uh, you know, you need to be able to, you need to have standard kits you bring in on every single call. And the knockdown argument is this comes down to this you really have to take a look at it's like okay how many calls have gone wrong because you brought in too many kits do you know any spence yeah have we ever i've not gotten one single call submission where it's like yeah we brought in four kits we should have only brought in three because by god damn it lewis tripped on the one kit on the way out and broke his leg and that that's never happened it's never happened in the history of this show it's never happened in my history as a supervisor in a very busy okay i'm (laughs) sure we'll find it when it does but it will be way (laughs) less frequent than the number of times that people have to run back out to get kits or are stuck in a scene where they don't have what they need and what i have to ask you what i have to tell you is that if you look at it like this let's say you have one system they always bring in, you know, three kits. It's an airway kit, a monitor, and a med kit. And they have pretty much everything to run any medical call in those three kits. That's a pretty standard setup. That's going to sound familiar to a lot of people, okay? And they always bring them in, no matter what. Uh, and, you know, if it's a trauma, they'll add more trauma stuff, uh, you know, and I can understand that because if it doesn't come down with any trauma, that's going to be very few calls that wind up being trauma with no trauma information whatsoever. Okay? It's a very small risk. Uh, and again, trauma equipment can be large enough to actually hinder care if you bring it in unnecessarily. Now. On the other hand, you have a system where you only bring in what you think is necessary based on dispatch. Uh, we have to agree on something, Spencer, here, and that is that no one will ever perfectly predict what they need to walk in. So on the sure. one system where you only bring in the kits that you need, no matter how good you are, you are not perfect. Sooner or later, one call somewhere, you will bring in, you will not bring in kit that you needed, and it's going to cost. I want you to tell me straight-faced what the value was, what you, what value did you place above delaying that patient's care? Tell me what it is. Because oh, that's the yeah, only I argument. Can, yeah. I mean, I can tell you what it is. It's my hand is not as tired. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if you are in one of these systems and maybe you feel I'm wrong, if you have a good argument, uh, if you want to argue with me, then send me an email at ems2020podcast at gmail.com or specifically me, uh, chris at ems2020podcast.com. Uh, that would go straight to me. Uh, send me an email. And you just tell me what value you, in that situation, tell me as an agency, what value do you place above the one call that you're going to screw up because of that kit? Okay. You don't have to know what the call is. Just know that it has happened or it will happen, that there will be a call that could have gone better that resulted in a less than optimum patient outcome because you didn't bring in a kit, because your agency didn't bring in a kit. Tell me what the value is that you thought was worth more than that. And then we can have a discussion because the only right. way you and I will ever have a discussion that's rational on this. And so that that's just what I'm pointing out. I'm not here to get mad and yell at you. I understand how those cultures can get that way. But for for Christ's sakes, stop it. For, for the sake yeah. of your patients and the sake of your own mental health, stop it. Uh, and the other thing, too, is it, the more difficult thing to address is hospitals that frequently flick crap uh, to people for making wrong calls uh without knowing much more about the system it's hard to suggest a path out of that go ahead sorry spence yeah well i mean you brought up i think you know where you know like we i mean we've encountered this too even at 
you know, like the trauma hospital where they're like, ah, well, I mean, come on, guys. He's been drinking. He's probably just drunk. And it's like, well, are you going to do a CT scan? Well, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, then shut yeah, up. <laughs> that's We don't have that. Yeah. Like we have no way. Sure. It could be that he's just drunk. I just don't have the equipment to definitively fucking yeah. make that argument. You do. Yeah. So it, it, it's be, you're being held to information. It sounds like in this system, you're being held to information that you really couldn't get. Yeah. And, you know, they're, and they're mad because work, work came their way. And what I told Jesse over the phone and what I'm going to say in defense to this is, Hey, you have protocols that say, you know, Hey, I like, I'm not doing this to you guys on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, you tell me how I should have interpreted these protocols. This is what my medical director, yeah. this is what my agency has dictated that I do. Yeah. Um, it, it, how am I not going to activate this stroke when they meet the stroke criteria? Yeah. And then, you know what? Because uh, that kind of kills the conversation. And if it doesn't, and if they're still shitty about it, then you can, I think you go to your training officer, your, your, your manager, and you go, Hey guys, we are getting a lot of negative feedback from this hospital because, uh, and they are, you know, getting mad at us about, sh- you know, like we're following our protocols. We're mm-hmm. using clinical judgment, you know, like the, if, if there's a change that the hospital wants, then we need to get our medical director involved and yeah. figure out how to make that change. Yeah. And you know what? I think for me personally, that's that's where I would start the conversation at the hospital. If I start getting a charge nurse that's really just kind of in my pocket yeah. about the whole thing, I would probably just say like, hey, like I understand that this can be frustrating. I, I get that. But, you know, from my angle, uh, you know, this is this is the protocol my physician has for me. And I feel this patient meets that protocol. If you don't think this is the appropriate protocol that we should be doing, uh, then, help, you know, I get it. Help us out. Talk to our medical director help us come up with a system that's more accurate. But, in, you know, in the meantime, like, and I would even tell them, like, unfortunately, we've got a lot of paramedics that are just guessing because they don't want to upset you. And I don't think that's what anybody really wants. You know, we want to be able to do this accurately. And if you feel there's a better way to do yeah. it, then let's let's work together and get it done. And of course, that's coming from, from me, who was a supervisor, and those are the conversations yeah. I can have, but um, or could have, rather. Yeah. But uh, throw your manager under the bus. That's uh, that's how that exactly. happens. Well, but no, but well, honestly, like like a, like a good manager though, that like that that is what managers that's are there their for. Job. That, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's their job. Yeah, that's that's our job. That's yeah. if the if they're not doing that, they shouldn't be your manager. Very true. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, your manager is there to take those hits and be like, yeah. No, I totally totally get it. Yeah. Send them my way. We'll talk it out. Let's crack into this call. Uh, or excuse me. Let's meth into this call. Let's. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, so I don't have much for pregame, I, assigning roles Not and, really. take, you know, considering what you, you know, you bring in your kits, but bring uh, your kits yeah, in, there it is. damn it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the arrival and their assessment. Um, so I noted they got the CPG really late in the call. I think if you're going down the stroke algorithm or even just that altered mental status algorithm, get that early. Cause the hospital is going to want that anyway. Um, and it might potentially be a culprit. You yeah. know, you might go, oh, I think it's a stroke. And then it's like, well, the blood sugar is 30. So mm-hmm. let's fix that first and see if that changes. And right. yeah, I've had patients where I thought that something far more serious was happening. And then we gave them sugar and suddenly it's yeah. not as serious at all. Yeah. So, um, I, I, thought, yeah. I thought they did good. I mean, 
I agree. The CVG should, I mean, I think I even called for that when you were asking me, all right, what would you do? I'm like, well, yeah. you know, get vital signs to include a CVG, CBG, I think like I said, CBG. Uh, but I did think they did a great job, you know, jumping on the stroke scale and getting that done right away. And it was positive right away. Um, yeah. So you know, that was great. Uh, and then that, the hypotension. And I think this kind of comes, the hypotension, I think, kind of leads me because, you know, they're, they're BLS at this point. And yeah. unfortunately, like, there's not a, there's not a ton you can do with hypotension when it comes to BLS when you don't have like uh, hemorrhage control to consider, which we don't have in this case. Yeah. Um, and so I think the next thing that's really going to kind of come down to is the decision uh, to intercept or not to do the you know the transport versus mm-hmm. get an ALS intercept. And that's where I think we're missing a little bit of information uh, that that would kind of help with this decision here because. You know, we, you and I have talked about this before. And when it comes to an ALS intercept, you really have to weigh it's like, okay, how long is it going to take me to get to the ALS intercept versus how long is it going to take me just to get to the hospital? Because if it's the same, then go to the hospital because the hospital is also ALS, you know? So, yeah. you know, then go to the hospital. But sometimes, let's say it's 20 minutes to the hospital and 15 minutes to ALS. And you're probably thinking, it's like, well, yeah, but by the time ALS gets over, we'd be 25 minutes at the hospital. It may still be worth it because what the ALS guy can provide in 15 minutes, maybe what the hospital is going to do in the first seven to eight minutes anyway. And when we're talking specifically about hypotension, resolving hypotension in some patients rapidly uh, may be key. And so in that case, getting them, you know, taking a little bit longer to get to the hospital, but getting to that intervention that can resolve the hypotension earlier than if you went to the hospital, maybe what's required in this case. Yeah. Uh, what's not the problem. We have one known variable, uh, unknown variable in that. And that is, uh, we don't know what the time to the ALS, uh, intervention to the ALS intercept would have been. And th- yeah. that would be a big decision factor. But when you're making that decision, do I just go to the hospital or do I just go to ALS? Um, those are things that you should be considering. And unfortunately, you have to consider things that are outside of your scope of practice um, if you're if you're a BLS unit. Uh, I don't know what kind of communication they have with the um, ALS cars. I imagine it's good. Um, so this might be one of those things where you say, hey, uh, you know, stay in communication with that ALS fly car and be like, hey, this is what we got. Um, we got a hypotensive patient with stroke-like symptoms. Uh, we can be at the hospital in 20. We can be at you at 15. What do you think? And then let them make yeah. that call. If I was a yeah. paramedic in this case and I had that hypotensive of a patient, I would probably be like, yeah, let's meet up. I'm going to jump in with you guys. It might get us to the hospital two minutes later, um, but I'm going to jump in with you guys and see if we can at least get a line started uh, to where I can either start treating the back of the ambulance or at least the lines in place so they can treat when they get there. Because again, like you and I talked about, hypotension, severe hypotension in a CVA patient is bad. Um, so it does need to be yeah. um, resolved. And also, I mean, hypotensive hypotension can can induce CVA-like symptoms, you know? So Yep. Combined with the shortness of breath, like there could be some kind of, you know, heart event going on. So, Very true. But, you know, a 12 lead would be warranted. There, there are, I think this is one of those where uh, I would be heavier on, hey, let's get an ALS unit here. And I think the yeah. problem I have is when somebody's blood pressure is that low. Yeah. Um, without the trend, I don't know if it's going to continue to get worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, you know, you know what I mean? Like there, there's yeah. sort of that like – there's not a lot of room on one side of the scale anymore. No, there isn't. Yeah. Uh, and and, and a, code, yeah. a code is likely. 
Yeah. And uh, like, you know, and it's weird that the patient's not like compensating for that low blood pressure. Um, Not at all. Their heart rate isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, like, so there's, I don't know that there's some weird ones here that make me like, if I were an EMT, uh, I would, you know, like I I'd really want someone else to come and (laughs) take this off my hands. (laughs) Yeah. I I would think very true. So I think in this case, the one, the one thing that would absolutely cause me to not to avoid a, a, an ALS uh, intercept would be if the time to ALS and the time to the hospital is the same. That's the only time yeah. where I'd be like, "Well, now it doesn't matter." But I would think like if you're talking, if ALS is is even moderately faster, even if it would ultimately delay getting to the hospital itself, I would still think it would be worth it because these are things that the hospital is going to have to correct when they get there anyway, uh, or may have to yeah. correct when they get there anyway. Uh, that the ALS can begin to correct in the field where it's like, yeah, were you two minutes later to the hospital than you were if you'd just gone straight? Yeah, but now there's a line, the hypotension is resolved and the patient's improving, you know, or you know, yeah. for whatever reason. Or at least, hey, we also exactly. have this 12 week that says, hey, uh, because they had one clot, one clot caused the CVA and the other clot broke loose and caused an MI. Here you go. Yeah. You know? So, like, exactly. There's, there's or they can say, hey, we, you know, pressured 500 of fluid in and it didn't change anything. And then the hospital can go, okay, we can start pressers then. Like, we, right. okay, like something else. There is, there is an issue here. Um, so yeah, they're exactly. Cause they're not, I can tell you what they're not going to do. They're not going to put the guy with, what's his blood pressure? 50. Yeah. Send him to CT. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I should be fine. So Chris, let's talk about, I, I want, before Love. we get into, before we get into, I, cause I do want to talk about belief, uh, perseverance yeah. or perseverance. perseverance um, yeah. but let's, let's talk about, Walt's idea and like, are there merits to the idea that this could be, you know, medication induced? There is 100% merits to that idea. I mean, it it absolutely is. I mean, you mentioned earlier, the the guy has a lot of stuff that just like fucks with sodium channels and, you know, sodium channels are like important for heart shit. And so it's, uh, and nerve conduction and nerve conduction. Yeah. Oh, good point. Cause we have, mm -hmm. yeah. So here's things like, Yes, it's absolutely valid. It's a hundred percent valid. I think you know what Walt was, and and here's the thing. I'm actually gonna tell you this. I applaud Walt for googling and researching the medications. I think that's great history taking, especially when there's not a lot else you're gonna be doing for the guy at the moment. I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely something to consider. Uh, or how about this? Okay, it's something to consider only in so much that you're going to then pass that information on to the ER. You in the field. Mm. There's not a ton, short of maybe a narcotic overdose, which this guy doesn't really seem to fit, because uh, usually narcotic overdose, you don't feel short of breath. That's the problem. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. so uh, short of a narcotics overdose and, and Narcan administration, there really isn't much you're going to be doing with this information in the field. And it's not really going to have an impact, I think, on activating a stroke team or not. Because like I told you earlier, like, yeah, it, it could be the medications causing this. But you have no way in the field to know if this is a medication or if the guy is having a stroke. And it turned out the guy was having yeah. a stroke. So, yeah. Do I think yeah. it's valid? 100% valid. And I, I applaud the turning over of stones that Walt did to come to that conclusion. That part I applaud. But um, it, it it's one of those things I, to where it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I fall – and I guess that's the thing is like I applaud him for turning over stones and more questions – that would have led credence to this would have been like, hey, 
Um, oh, did were there changes in medications? How long has he been on this medication oh, regimen? Very good. You know, point. like if you're if you're going to go down that path, mm-hmm. um, then continue going down that path. Like th- you know, ask those questions as you're moving the you know potential stroke patient out to the ambulance. But like, get more information to to be able to pass along to the hospital. It seems like he came to a conclusion quickly and. And that was the, and then kind of prevented further action because it's like, okay, this might be a medication overdose or it could be a stroke. Uh, if you don't want to make the stroke team activation, I think you're wrong, but then, but, but why not have the ALS unit come in with that high? Like if the medication reaction is causing hypotension and profound altered mental status, Mm -hmm. like then. Have somebody at least fucking come and and start a line. <laughs> Take this away and, from you know, me. Like, why? I guess that was sort of my. It's like he slowed everything down as if it. And I, you know, we weren't there. I I don't know, but from the telling of it, from you know, one perspective, it sounds like Walt uh, kind of threw the stops on all the other important treatments. Because of this, and I think that's where I f- that's where I find fault in yeah. the actions that Walt took. Well, yeah, or the actions that the, the unintended. Maybe he didn't intend for the ALS unit to slow to code one, but they did, and there wasn't any. Oh, hey, they should still no have them come code three because this dude's hypotensive. There, you know what I mean. Th- yeah, that's I, know. I guess that's where I get frustrated with uh, no, Walt. And, and I think it kind of boils down to this: is like even if you went down that that path of questioning of like any medication changes, all those things. Again, that's all important information. I don't see any nugget of information that you could possibly get that as a BLS car. Um, yeah. I don't see any nugget of information that you could get that, that would allow you to say, well, this isn't a stroke. It's not there. Yeah. Um, the only way I think you'd really be able to say that. And here's the thing. Okay. Let's say, let's say I was a paramedic and I was on the scene from the get go. Okay. Mm. And, right. uh, and I went down all that information and I'm already there on scene. I would still call this a stroke until I corrected the hypotension and symptoms resolved. If I correct that hypotension yeah. and symptoms resolved, I'd radio back in and be like, Hey guys, you might be able to stand on the stroke team. We resolve the hypotension and the symptoms have resolved. Here's what I can tell you. Mm. He's probably still going to go to CT. Yeah. So could you imagine rolling into an ER and be like, Hey, yeah, he was hypotensive. We uh, fixed it and it resolved. Um, by the way, and like like if you roll into the ER and you never activated the stroke team or even mentioned stroke, and you said, "Oh, but by the way, uh, his symptoms prior to uh, prior to correcting that was a profound left sided deficits and slurred speech," <laughs> and then you bounced. Oh my yeah. god! They'd be like, "Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, what? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean." Yeah. What's the equivalent of uh, chest we, wall pain for strokes? Yeah, exactly. Like? Yeah. It was a uh, skull it pain. Was, I mean, it wasn't quite stroke-like, but uh, – Oh, but it was in this case. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, he, he pretty much was having a stroke that we fixed that. That would never fly, like, in a million years. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? You know, and then they're going to go put the guy in the CT scanner and, you know, find yeah. whatever, maybe find nothing, you know, depending on that. But, yeah, so that that's just kind of my points here is, like – you're not going to get away from the CBA part of this call no matter what you do. It just It's just going to change depending on whether or not you say, hey, the patient was hypotensive with stroke-like symptoms, stroke-like symptoms resolved after we corrected the hypotension. Uh, or, uh, hey, 
we weren't able to correct the hypotension or we did correct the hypotension and the stroke-like symptoms persisted. So no matter what, yeah. this is a stroke call. Stroke stroke is going to be the overall flavor. Th- this is a salmon dish. You're just changing the sides and what's on the salmon. Okay? Yeah, it's not it's a, a salmon bisque. bisque. No, you can't have a salmon bisque because it's not a shellfish. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's a salmon bisque and – yeah, exactly. I oh, got my you. God. All right. Well, I still like I still like that to date of all the medical shit that we've talked about. The number one thing that we've been emailed about was salmon bisque recipes, M&M, mm. and then finally TXA. <laughs> yes. Yes. That thankfully is – yeah. It's oh, pushing man. salmon bisque. Into the into the background. What what it was actually right. made me really happy about the TXA though is since I did my little justification rant, we've had a few messages being like, "Hey, just so you know, man, I had your back from the get go." I'm like, "Yes, thank nice. you, nice, thank you, nice." Anyway, so well, let's let's talk about a strange human phenomenon that uh, I have encountered a few times. I've I've held yeah. a few times, and that is bl- a, a phenomenon called belief perseverance. Yeah. Um. So. To, to recap here, like Walt, here's the details about the medications uh, on scene from the history and and seemingly locks in on the idea that the patient's presentation is the cause uh, for their symptoms. And that is the explanation. Um, and the here's the part where it becomes belief perseverance is his opinion isn't changed when confronted by other facts. Or other details like these stroke-like symptoms, and nor does Walt seem concerned with the patient's hypotension from the as we can tell from the actions that he took. Um, in fact, when confronted with these details, with his partner going, "Hey, upgrade to code three. I'm calling a stroke alert." Really quick, I also want to say props to the to the partner for doing that. By the way, that yeah. that can be very difficult to do when there's a senior person there to stand up for that patient. So just props. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Yeah, good job, Jesse. That's why you got to go on into the uh, the the movie that followed Breaking Bad. El Camino. El Camino. Good yeah. job, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when when confronted with these details, and when it actually like push comes to shove, they don't change their stance. They they kind of double down and they get upset. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this thing. So in a recent article on uh, PLOS One, PLOS One, titled Effective Mitigation of the Belief Perseverance Bias After the Retraction of Misinformation, colon, Awareness Training and Counterspeech, uh, the authors discuss this particular phenomenon, and their goal is to try and find ways that are effective in combating it. So, what is it? Belief perseverance is holding on to an initial belief even after receiving new information that goes against that held belief. So, how does this happen? When does this happen and why? And it's kind of one of those things where it's a lot of little things that add up together to create this. So the big one is causal thinking. Um, and causal thinking is kind of how humans are wired to operate. We're wired to see cause and effect. And so we causal thinking is, well, X happened because of Y. So in this situation, it would be like, well, uh, he, he heard that, oh, this patient takes medications that do make him altered. And here he is altered. 
and the causal thing is like, okay, well, the, the, we have a clear cause, causal effect here. He took the medications and he is altered just to a higher degree. Um, there, there's other factors that can play into this anchoring bias. So it, if this is the first information that Walt kind of picked up on, that there tends to be, uh, uh, that tends to have more weight because it's the first thing that he heard that could potentially explain it. Um, there's confirmation bias that can play into this where you start hearing details. Oh, well, he also takes tizanidine, which is definitely and hydrocodone. And then it's like, okay, yeah, there is now we're adding more weight to it. And we sort of downplay. We have a tendency to downplay the information that we're not really focused on or paying attention to. Um, and there might even be recent encounters that Walt has had. Again, we don't know. I didn't get this call from Walt. Um, maybe Walt recently went on a slew of medication overdoses where there were some crossover symptoms, uh, or yeah, signs fair. that, 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 and so, and, and the reason that's important is if you, if I go on a, you know, if I, if I get a bunch of heads, <laughs> if I flip a coin, I, I'm, you know, like five in a row, you, you kind of notice when heads comes up again. You know what I mean? Yeah, you do. Uh, y y yeah. You're like, wow, that is, oof. uh, if, if you go on something a lot more, you're more likely to see it. Um, or you're more likely to see signs that lead to that. That's, you know, when, uh, when I miss the first head bleed, I definitely catch the second one. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? No, no, totally get it. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, so all of these things, and there are more factors that play into this. Um, but a lot of these factors all work together. And what they do is they build a coherent narrative. They build a coherent explanation of why events happen. And once our brains find something that makes sense, uh, they're loath to let that go, especially if it crosses into, you know, other strongly held beliefs or, uh, yeah. you know, if you add in these, you know, like recent encounter factors, um, the, it just becomes really difficult to move away from that belief. Um, it's a straightforward path and it might seem irrational to hold, you know, to cling on to something when you know, it's like, Hey man, left-sided deficits. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't know that the you know, like the medications can't do that, yeah. you know, but it seems irrational to do that. But like, let's, I want to take a moment to like potentially peek into what Walt could have been thinking or like from that subconscious perspective. So again, like it's not wrong to think that medications might be, a cause of this. I, I think that is a perfectly reasonable thing to throw on the board. This yeah. could be a medication misadventure. That is a reasonable explanation for events. Um, and Walt likely believes, uh, that he's an intelligent and competent EMT and has probably come to that conclusion due to an established record of being right, or at least not being told that he's been wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, well, and which, so when, yeah, we talked yeah, about that a lot in this. Exactly. And so when Walt is challenged by Jesse on this plan, on the plan that he is, you know, on his, his explanation for events, um, it's not just the idea that gets challenged. It is the things that tie into that, which is, 
I'm a good EMT, I'm an intelligent person, and I've come to the conclusion that this is a medication thing. And then this new guy is going, hey, I think you're wrong. Yeah. And as much as we like to say our egos aren't in it. Oh, they are. They are. Yeah. Because I've been told I'm wrong about a thing that I feel like I was right about. And it is really, even knowing this, it is hard to not want to disagree or strongly disagree or feel attacked uh, yeah. personally because, you know, they rejected my idea, man. <laughs> <laughs> and if you feel you're under attack, what is the most rational thing to do? It's to defend yourself. And so this is, I think, the kind of the underlying mechanism behind this belief perseverance is a defense of not just the idea, but the, the things that get added into that idea, whether it's, you know, a, you know, a worldview perspective, whether it's some kind of identity piece, some sort of emotional piece, like there is more to it than just the idea, uh, that, the person is defending. Um, so when it comes to combating this, I, I think if you, if, if you're like me and you're like, I don't want to be that guy. Cause there is nothing dumber than doubling down on wrong and then being wrong. Like yeah, that is nothing feels that worse. is the fuck that is. And so we're saying this is two guys that have done that. So we're not. Oh yeah. yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. I have I definitely it's been for all that you guy. people that make that mistake. Not for us. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and if you don't feel like you have ever done this, you, well, you've done it. You're, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah you're probably <laughs> wrong. Is. You're wrong about being wrong. Yeah. Uh, but just keep doubling yeah. down. So in at least applied to EMS, this is what I would say is a strong way to combat this phenomenon, which is leave yourself open to don't, don't define the answer is right or wrong. Don't look for one thing, cast a wide net, make it your job to, Hey, I think this is sepsis, but also I'm going to ask about these other things while we treat for the most concerning thing. Yeah. And then when I get to the hospital and they go, all right, uh, you know, so you thought this was sepsis. Well, we're treating it as this, but here are some other details that we got from the family about these other possible causes. Yeah. But the most concerning is sepsis. Thus, we're here, code three, and we've given, you know, the, the fluids and the things. Yeah. Um, if you settle into something being the thing, then you are kind of, you put yourself at stake in a way because you are now saying like, I declare this right and wrong. You've added yourself into yeah. it. You've put stakes on it and no one wants to be wrong. Being wrong hurts. Yeah, because it does. Being, being right is so awesome. <laughs> oh God, it's too. so good. Isn't it great? Yeah. Oh, love it. Oh, right. Uh, I wish I was there more often. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, so think of things, things not in terms of like, <laughs> right yeah <laughs> oh man all the lives i could have saved yeah Oof. shit well you know yeah, at least there's yeah. a funeral home somewhere that's making money yeah. <laughs> uh, save who you can the sea takes the rest you're not even by an ocean <laughs> yeah, yeah. these bodies will be though i got a road trip coming up we are by an ocean though yeah. i literally work yeah, on the true. coast i'm on a coast base. that's true yeah <laughs> What do you do when you're wrong? Do you just like open the doors? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Is that a patient refused mid-flight? Yeah. It happens. Bye. <laughs> yep. 
Got a nurse. Nice. Like, I didn't see shit, man. We're good. Let's just fly back. <laughs> Let's just go. Ah, oh, shit. Someone was filming us. Hey, uh, land land on the beach next to him. If he doesn't give us the camera, we're, Hit him we're with just going to Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to... All right. Yeah, no, I, so I think that the thing to do is not think of things as like, oh, I think it's this or I think it's that. It's think of terms in like in terms of probability. Well, there's a high likelihood it's this, but there are also these likelihoods that it's this other thing. Yeah. Um, it could be a stroke, hypotension, sepsis, etc. So, um, in others, if I am, if I'm going up against a partner who's, who seems to be in, like, let's just say in this instance, I think the first thing to do is, as Chris said, would be uh, that dude, that is a, that is a, that is one really good possible explanation for this. Yeah. But what, you know, and then, bring back the clinical feature, which is like, hey, but what if it is a stroke? How do we delay? How do we not activate the stroke team in this situation? Because listen, he's got this. And then bring up those clinical questions of information you don't have. Like, well, you're saying you think this is a medication thing, but like, has his medications changed? Yeah. Like, what did you get some detail that like, let me know. Uh, help me, help me be on your side. Right. And then at the end of the day, it's the, so how do we make this not a stroke activation, man? Cause like, well, I, yeah. I can't say that medications will definitely make left-sided weakness. You know, well, like I don't see that. Here's cut the out. other <laughs> argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like here, here's the, here's the other argument that you can make too, is you can always be like, Hey man, like I see what you're saying. And maybe you even agree with them. You know, maybe it's likely. Yeah. Like, I see what you're saying. And yeah. That probably could be it. The hard part is though, is that like I get it. Like we'll get we'll get side eye if we you know activate a stroke team when we didn't need to. But like God, if we didn't activate a stroke team and we had these symptoms, I, I don't know how I'm going to defend that one, man. Yeah. And then the last 100%. resort, yeah. And then the last resort because I don't like having to do this. Um, I and I feel this, this is a last resort for reasons that people may not agree with, but that's always the. Hey, look, like if you don't agree with me, that's totally fine, uh, especially when you guys are both equal certifications in this case. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to do it this way. I'll give the report. I'll give the handoff. You know, I will I will put it on I'll, me. So if they want to be mad at me, I'll they take can be the mad heat. At me. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't like doing that only because it really divides you as a team. And to me, it looks unprofessional. Um, but that's that's just kind of that, yeah. that's why I kind of leave for uh, yeah. for the last thing. Yeah. Um, and, so. And the and the reason that this strategy is effective is that you are not you, you kind of take the person out of it, and yeah. that's the that's the key piece is like if they are defending it because they have whether they intended to or not, and that's the thing is like this is so tricky that they they Walt probably doesn't realize uh, that he has put himself into this spot where he is. It's not just his idea. He's defending. It's himself. Oh yeah. If you say like, no man, you're smart. That's a good, that is a great thought. Let's pass that along to the hospital. Now Walt doesn't have to defend himself because you fucking recognized it. You're a smart fucking guy, Walt. Yeah. Well, so here, <laughs> You're the here's... smartest man I know. How could you not realize so that these guys were going to kill me? God, that was such a good line. So I'd, I'd put it out there like this, though, is that um, I, I think it's also 
confession. Uh, I have had to be led in this direction, in this way. I have been the Walt in this case where someone oh, had to step up and be, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long time, but you know, but someone had to step up and be like, Hey man, I see what you're saying. I totally think you got a good point. We should still make this a trauma entry. And I'm like, all right, you know, make it a trauma entry. I didn't make them make the trauma entry on my behalf, but you know, it was just like, it was a firefighter that was telling yeah. this. And here's the thing, like ultimately, no, probably didn't need to be made a trauma, trauma system entry. But after I was done, and it, well, not even after I was done, on the way up, it, as I'm giving the trauma report, I start realizing like, oh, they're totally right. There's no way I could get this report. <laughs> like, they are totally Dude, yeah. right. And they just saved my ass from taking this person to a hospital that really does not like getting non-traumas. And then we got up there. And the firefighter kind of kept justifying like, yeah, like, you know, I know it looks like he's not going to get that. But I was really thinking, I'm like, no, actually, like, you were right. And thank you. Because I was going to, I was about to look like a giant fucking idiot to uh, <laughs> to somebody else. So, uh, thanks. So, no, yeah. I, I've been there and like, I, I, I will tell you, like, taking that stance uh, w- with somebody who who's a. Uh, self-reflective self-reflective enough is just going to make your is just going to make your partnership with them even better so don't don't be afraid yeah. it's one of those things too is like if you suggesting that somebody is wrong is going to ruin your partnership or your career uh, good because like, <laughs> now you know now you know yeah. and you could move on but uh, anyway, well, thanks again for listening to another episode of EMS 2020. Each and every episode gets its own social media post. So be sure to check out our social media and uh, comment. Let us know uh, what you think and uh, you know, try and justify not bringing in kids to me. I dare you. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so also, guys, please visit jumpmedic.com and be sure to check out the premium first aid kits that are available there. Check out the build the kit function so you can build and design your own kit to have what you want in it. Uh, and use promo code EMS2020 for 10% off of your order there. Check out our social media. It's EMS20 slash 20 on Facebook, EMS2020 show on Instagram. Uh, you will find links in the bio on our Instagram and a pinned post on the Facebook where you can submit your call to EMS2020 and we can uh, we can review it and you might get an episode. Don't worry though. We don't just fire from the hip from that uh, form submission. We will call you for further details. Check out Rapid Sequence Information. That is our YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, keep listening. Uh, we love you guys. It's great. Oh, we're going to be in Nebraska, uh, NebraskaEMS.com. With that, um, yeah, that's July. Uh, All right. That's enough, I think. Bye. (laughs) Say my name. (laughs) 